Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. You are about to listen to a recording of our midweek service. Uh, this midweek topic is a very biblical Christmas. So we hope you enjoyed this, this uh, recording. And as always, you can join us on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 8 p.m. in the Worship Center for a midweek Bible study. God bless. Take care. Thanks so much. Well, hello. <laughs> hey, you know, tonight uh, is going to be a little different than what we've been doing. Tonight we don't have any handouts or anything cool, no cool PowerPoints. Um, uh, Wait a minute. How many How many different slides did you have last week? 204. <laughs> he told me that before he started. But I'm like, to be what? fair, a lot of them were blank fill in the answer. And so 102. Which is why he was going, he was talking, going, <laughs> uh, somewhere up there on the screen. <laughs> it was fun, you know, for me. <laughs> it kept your attention, I'll give you yeah, that. Well, it kept my attention, it needs to, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's available on these, all of these are being recorded, and we're putting them out on the Leesburg Talk podcast. <laughs> why, we don't know, but yes. People are listening. Okay. So if you're listening on the podcast right now, yeah. you are <laughs> special. Bored. You are loved. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Here comes the bus. How's it feel underneath it? <laughs> Look up. Grab that tailpipe, buddy. Uh, so, so that, that's week we said kind of some of the stuff we we're going to talk about this week. We've been walking through a biblical Christmas, uh, thinking about. I mean, ho hopefully the, the idea is that we've been able to see Christmas maybe through a new lens uh, instead of just, I don't know, maybe, I'm sure y'all are better people than I am. I'm frustrated with Christmas. By the time Christmas gets here, I'm like, Ugh. thankfully we can take this stuff down, put it in the closet, not think about it for another, you know, 11 months. Uh, I just get worn out with it. So it helps me a lot this time of year to look at the Christmas story in the Bible, uh, process through that. And in that, we see just so many wonderful reminders of, of God's faithfulness. Of, of, Very rich. Of, of, God's, of God's perfect timing. I mean, have you ever felt that, like, you, you know, you're sitting there and saying, well, like we t discussed this past week, how long, O oh Lord? How long will you hide your face from us? How long will you, you know, I've been asking and asking and asking for this. And this is a good thing and a right thing. And a, how long will, and sometimes we just feel like God's just not listening. Uh, but in the Christmas story, we're reminded time and time again throughout this Christmas narrative that, that God's per timing is perfect. You know, John, my favorite uh, Christmas verse is actually one Paul wrote in Galatians 4.4. 4, oh, yeah. When he said, in the fullness of time, mm -hmm. God sent his son. Yeah. And I've thought about that a lot. Yeah. You know, God's timing was perfect. Yeah. And the way that unfolded was perfect. Um, of course, we have the... We have the uh, gift of looking back at it mm -hmm. to see that yeah you know and i'm sure at the time it felt chaotic yeah the point being sometimes our lives feel chaotic in the moment yeah but if we just give time for god to work he makes it all come together yeah yeah, yeah. It, th th that important p word <laughs> can can, can be helpful <laughs> patience. patience yeah uh so so i thought this week uh that we would kind of talk through some of the minor things in the Christmas narrative that that sometimes get overlooked. Uh, my 
Uh, and so, for example, let's maybe jump in to how we decorate for Christmas today and how we got there, right? Well, let, let's let's maybe talk a minute about the actual nativity, nativity okay, yeah. itself. You know, I think that, you know, if you're like me, you have those beautiful little ceramic things at the house, which we do, that depict the nativity. You know, the ones you threaten your kids not to touch. Yeah, yeah. And the cat <laughs> always ends up breaking baby Jesus or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know why you would do that, but um, um, so but the nativity, uh, you know, always depicted. We had a, I remember, you know, even when we've done them at church in the past, you know, you have the the scenario of a of a barn like structure and the cattle are lowing and there's cows and sheep and whatever around, and then you have Mary and Joseph and the baby and you have hay and you have a little like trough thing that maybe they would eat out of, which probably is pretty accurate. Uh, somewhat of a depiction. Uh, you have the shepherds there, of course, and then you have the wise men there, which that is not accurate, actually. Right. Because when the wise men came, actually, probably closer to, what, two years old, maybe? Yeah, and about two. and um, they, it says when they came, they found him in a house. They were actually in a house at that time. So. And in that bo- at that time, it wasn't the infant, it was the child. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a little bit different. So our depiction of how we think about it or view it in our mind is a little different maybe than, you know. Uh, and, you know, even the star, uh, and we can get into that, but, you know, yeah. even the star probably, whatever that was, and we don't really know what that was. It was a phenomenon in the sky, of course. Uh, but it it's not like it came down and beamed right on that spot. Oh. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and you know, because the wise men, of course, uh, didn't go to Bethlehem initially yep. when they were looking, yep. right? They went to where you would find a king. They went to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know. So, so let's start with who were these wise men, Sammy? Well, all I can do is, all I can see is the t-shirts. Wise men still seek him. These wise guys, uh, un- unfortunately, have been depicted through the centuries as kings. Uh-huh. Don't know that. Don't have any reference to them having kingship. Um, we have them more uh, of being uh, from the east that were probably, uh, like most people of the day, my grandparents, for example, planted every plant on our farm by the moon. Every single, I have planted potatoes at midnight many, many times as a kid, thinking they were crazy, but we always had potatoes. That's all I can tell you. Hmm. Well, the wise men were kind of watched the signs of nature yeah. and had some astronomy information about how things worked with the gravitational pulls and all that kind of stuff. So that's what these guys were were educated guys, yeah. intelligent guys. Do you have yeah. something you want to add to that? Yeah, uh, uh, well, you know, the Bible talks about them being from the east. And so if we think about the uh, map there for a minute, uh, east, I, I guess one of the questions that could be asked is, well, why do these guys even know to look for Jesus, right? Yeah, like that's what what even makes them interested in looking for Jesus. Well, if you rewind a couple hundred years, uh, the Israelites have been sent off into captivity into that's Babylon. Right. Uh, uh, these wise guys 
uh, were probably well-educated guys from Babylon or in that region there. They had learned about these Jewish prophecies probably because for 70 years the Israelites inhabited that land or were, were captives in, in that land. And, and many of those, that you remember the brightest and the best during the captivity right. were recruited for the Babylonian uh, uh, education system. And so th- th- these guys are pr- the, the best and the brightest of the Israelites were, were uh, you know, we, they weren't treated like slaves and, you know, making bricks and stuff. They were, they were used and infiltrated into the Babylonian culture uh, and, and sent through the education system. And, and, and so these smart guys took their writings and stuff with them as well. And so uh, these wise guys probably grew up in that culture there where they had heard these prophecies from the Old Testament, uh, f- from the, the Israelites' uh, uh, documents. Uh, they're educated guys. They're probably, you know, we always depict how many? We always depict three. Why three? Because we had three gifts, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, in, uh, there's a strong possibility that these wise guys came, not just three of them, but probably 60, 80, 100 people in a caravan of people. These guys are, uh, are probably well off. Um, uh, there's a couple different reasons why we can say that. Um, no, no mention of camels, by the way. No mention of camels. We don't know, you know, how yeah, they got. Yeah, right. We always picture yeah, riding yeah, these. Yeah, yeah. Kingship cam, yeah. uh, camels, but yeah. we, there's no mention of camels, so we don't know. And, and, and so they're familiar with the Jewish writings uh, or the Israelite writings that depict a Savior. And because of those things, I mean, it's it kind of interesting. It's kind of um, kind of insulting in a way for an Israelite or a Jewish person uh, by the time of Jesus to... Um, I got a Mountain Dew. Who wants one? <laughs> <laughs> um, for, for a... Uh, who was more prepared? Think about this. Who was? Do you feel like you were in, like you're in college again? Like you did something? Everybody's <laughs> was watching. Um, uh, think about this for a second. Uh, you you are a Jewish Pharisee, all right? Like you are trained in the scriptures, but the people who are most prepared for the coming of the Messiah are foreigners from Babylon. That's right. Huh? That kind of knocks us off our post a little bit, doesn't it? Um, uh, those who think they're wise are, end up not being so wise, and so these wise. And there's guys some come. symbolism behind that yeah. too, John, Go. with the, the Christ being for all people. You know, oh, that's you right. have, you know, I think that ethnic barrier being broke down yeah. is huge too, yeah. right off the get, right from the yeah. right out of the gate. So. And so, and so, these wise guys come and they bring three gifts. Why three gifts, and what's what's important to those gifts? Sam, you want to jump on that? Sure. Um, there's two. It's actually twofold. Uh, there's monetary value in these gifts because shortly after this, we know you know the, there was a there was some traveling that had to be done unbeknownst to them. Yeah. And so they were going to have to have some resources. And yeah. so these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were going to provide income for them or ability to buy things or sell it or whatever. So they could support the family, and Joseph was out of his region of where he had grown up doing carpentry. Um, that's important, but even more important is the symbolism of the prophetic part of the gifts: gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh. Anybody know? Huh? Yeah. 
uh, it was he had been born to die because when Jesus died, they, of course, when any Jew died, they would encase them with these linens, and then they would have this, they would crush that, mix it with um, water and oil, and make a paste out of it, and kind of almost paper macheed this in burial. Um, and there was several, what was it, 75 pounds of it was used, I think, in Jesus' burial. And so um, it was a prediction that he was born to die because he would have that used as burial. He was certainly our priest, our high priest, and uh, with frankincense and gold, he's the king of kings. So I don't know, you might have more than that. No, the only, the only other thing, uh, I think the, the most practical application is, like you said, they're going to need to leave pretty uh, <laughs> expeditiously Quickly. Uh, to go to Egypt, right? After the wise guys come, they find the child in the house with uh, mom and dad. The angel's going to appear to Joseph and say, get up and go. Herod's coming to kill you in the redneck version. And so uh, they've got to get down, and, and they, they go down probably, uh, they go to Egypt, right? And Matthew looks back and he says, this is in order to fulfill the prophecy out of Egypt I'll call my son. Um, uh, now, w one of the other benefits of those gifts is, as they travel, one, it's, it's currency to travel, but also um, we're not quite sure how long Jesus was there. We know he was a child when he went there. We're not quite sure. There's some debate as to how long he was in Egypt. And so uh, th there is a school of thought that believes that Jesus, uh, it also financed his education while he might have been in Egypt. He might have been uh, pretty well educated. The Egyptian uh, 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 um, world had a really good education system, and so... Uh, maybe that funded his education in one of the Alexandrian schools in Egypt. Yeah. I think that's kind of neat. It is. Uh, you know that whole uh, thing about Herod. I don't. I don't. I'm not going to get into all this. But if you want to look it up, it's kind of an interesting thing that Jesus was actually born <laughs> 4 BC, which is kind of wait a minute before Christ. How can he be born before yeah. Christ? But it has to do with Herod's death yeah. being recorded on the wrong date. Mm -hmm. That's what that had to do with. Yeah. And that's how it got messed up with when the calendar system started being engaged yeah. many years later. So that's kind of that's just kind of an interesting thought. But yeah. You you reminded me of something and I'm trying to piece it together. Uh, I was reading this past week. Uh, are you familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls were f found in the 40s? Yes. Is that right? 40s in the Dead Sea region, uh, north of is it north of Israel. Um, Qumran uh, And, and um, so 40s found all these documents in, um, in these caves. There's, uh, as I understand, and I could be wrong, it's happened a lot. Um, <laughs> but my understanding is there was a shepherd boy out there with his, with his herd, and he picked up a rock and he threw it. And all of a sudden, he heard a kafunk and some pottery break. Yeah. And that's kind of how they found these, these scrolls. Uh, when they investigated those scrolls, uh, I, for some reason, I'm wanting to say um, Cave 4 and Document 248. I don't know why that's in my head, but I think that might be right. Anyway, this, this document uh, has to do with the birth narrative. I was reading it this week. Um, um, the, the question is, why in the world, uh, um, for Christians, looking back, the, the early, let me start again. 
the early Christians, after Jesus' resurrection, that was the staple, right? That's when we know without a doubt who he was, right? The earliest apologetic of Jesus the, uh, 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 was talking about his resurrection. And after his resurrection, that's when his disciples started to document his early years, his birth, and all that. They're looking back in time to document how it got to this point. Now, there is a lot of um, pushback, especially around Christmas time, and say, well, look, Jesus, he's really just another myth, another legend. Um, all, these other cult- all these other cultures and, uh, and religions throughout the centuries, you always have the same theme repeating itself. Often the, the Egyptians had this um, uh, uh, son of God thing that they, that they talked about in their religious systems. And so, and so the Christians, these early Christians in the first century, they're just, um, they are just uh, um, uh, re-wrapping a gift that's already been given. They're re-wrapping, telling the story with a new spin, and that's their faith system. But, you know, the, the, do you understand what I'm saying there? That's the argument uh, often against Christianity. In the Death, Dead Sea Scrolls, we find d- documents uh, that talk about the Son of God, Messiah, and they're tying it directly to Jesus, which is interesting, uh, or g- g- tying it directly to a coming Messiah, um, which is interesting be- because th- those documents predate the criticisms of Christianity, which is kind of neat to see, uh, specifically talking about, the, you know, throughout the Christmas story in Luke and in Matthew, we see Jesus referred to time and time again as the Son of God. So all these criticisms are long after it's already been prophesied, and that's an important thing. Yeah, I guess by, to know. by three or four hundred years. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. kind of neat. Yeah, but you know the uh, the Christmas story has a, has a lot of uh, history behind it, and how we celebrate Christmas today has a lot of history behind it. Uh, almost everything that we do to celebrate Christmas, as far as decor and so forth began with pagan festivals and was used by the church and missionaries and monks to teach people about Christ. Mm -hmm. And we can touch on a few of those if you'd like. Yeah, well, well, let's let's think about this way. Um, There's this duality that we live in, right? We're to be, today we talk about we're to be in the world but not of the world. And that's always kind of a a tricky place to be, like, okay, well, if I'm in the world but not of the world, if I'm a Christian, then I need to be set apart. That scripture teaches that. Uh, but how set apart do I need to be? I mean, I can go extreme, and I can be like uh, uh, the Amish, for example, and kind of build a, a closed society of sorts. Uh, or I can be in the society, and there be no difference really between, no difference between me and anyone else. And that's kind of like where we've got to find our spot on that line. There's been pushback, and you've probably heard it before. Um, well, you know, we don't celebrate Christmas uh, because the Christmas tree is a, a pagan thing, and we don't want to celebrate that. Well, you know, th- I, I guess the question then there becomes, well, what are you, what are you worshiping, right? Because certainly you could worship anything, right? We can make idols out of anything. Uh, but the question then becomes, what are you, what are you worshiping? Uh, uh, for example, the, the uh, Egyptians, they had uh, the, the sun god was Ra. Uh, and every year, because we are people, and we always want to find a reason for things, right? Have you ever noticed that? We always want to find a reason, the cause behind whatever effect we might experience. And so the Egyptians, every year, almost like clockwork, 
the sun god would start to get sick. Huh. How, how do we know the sun god's sick? Well, the sun's not staying out as long. Change he must season. be sick. Yeah. And so he's getting sick, he's getting sick, he's getting sick. And then around December 21st or so, uh, it's winter solstice. It's, it's the, the shortest day of the year. Uh, and so the, the sunlight is, is, uh, is uh, the shor- shortest there is. And so uh, the Egyptians, for example, they would bring in green plants and trees, whatever they had, and they would kind of uh, have a festival of sorts to celebrate because we knew at this date, the shortest day of the year, we know that it's going to start getting better. Ra's going to start to recover. And that's kind of one of the origins of, of uh, the tradition of Christmas trees in a way. Um, bringing in greenery to sell in the wintertime when the sun is uh, sparse in order to, to remind them that the sun is going to recover. Spring will be here. Now that developed over the years, over the years. And uh, it wasn't really popular in Western civilization um, until Germans, the, the Germans really started to make the Christmas tree a popular uh, decoration. I think it was around um, 1820-ish or so was the first time Queen, what was her name, Victoria? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> it sounds right. Let's say Queen Victoria. Um, Wasn't there like, like a thousand Queen Victorias? I don't know. Yeah, well, so, I mean, that's a good guess then, right? <laughs> yeah. she, whatever, she was a popular queen, though. <laughs> Uh, and um, and there was an etching that went out of her and the royal family decorating a Christmas tree, uh, and so Germans kind of you know hopped on that bandwagon. And of course, uh, as it spread uh, throughout Europe, it came over here on the boat. They uh, say part of the originality of that was is that in part of that festival they would go out in the woods, and with the evergreens. They worship them because of the, s- the solstice yeah. and the sun and all that fading, yeah. and they stay green. Yeah, there's and so strength there, right? And there's so monks took them out there and used that to teach that, hey, Christ is the only one that's yeah. ever yeah. living, and they used, as odd as it is, the Christmas tree angle pointing to Christ yeah. is the idea. Also, a triangle. And they would use the triangle to represent the Trinity. Yeah. So I, I skipped this point. I started down this road, but I skipped it. But that's what I, that's what I do. Um, one of the issues that we even have to wrestle with is what do we uh, get rid of and what do we redeem? And that's really been the historic issue: is can we use something from maybe with pagan origins and redeem it for Christ-centered origins? And that's you what know. And let me just done. say, you can take everything on earth was created for man by God. Everything. Okay, we decide whether it's good or bad in the choices that we make. This is where I get so bent out of shape with this whole idea. Well, that's really bad. Well, what made it bad? Yeah, you made Mm -hmm. it bad. It's not intended to be bad, but you can make anything bad. Yeah. So the point is, is you know, you know, Paul even addressed this in with other issues. Mm -hmm. You know, quit getting involved in all these feast days and worrying about all these stuff. You know, make it good. Make it a good thing, not a bad thing. Same thing with eating food. That's right. You know, he said the same thing. You know, you're saying food that's been food that's been, you know, that's 
desecrated food if it's been used yeah. for this or done. And he says, it's all about in what's going yeah. on inside of you yeah. and, and what, what it's about. Yeah, uh, you know, think about Paul's talking about meat sacrificed to idols, or at least, you know, pagan gods. And the, the Jews in the first century, in Romans, for example, they say, you yeah, know, we can't eat meat that's sacrificed because they would sacrifice it to these deities, these false gods, and then they'd sell it in the marketplace. And some, some of the Jews are like, oh, we can't do that. It's been sacrificed. It's been tainted, right? And Paul says, hey, look, it's meat, you know? Good bread, good meat. Good Lord, let's eat. Um, I mean, that's, again, the redneck version. But it, that's kind of the, the, the picture there. Is, well, what are you? What are you worshiping, right? Listen, if you put up a Christmas tree and you're worshiping a false god. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. But it's also true if you put up a picture of Grandma. Yeah. <laughs> worshiping yeah. Grandma. Yeah, that's She's right. not your god. Yeah. Love her, so mm -hmm. miss her. She's not my God. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I was reading uh, earlier today about so, so Lynn. So we've got these trees, and these trees are a symbol of uh, of life, of strength. Uh, historically, through all these different people groups and, and regions, um, but but then well, you start to ask the question: Well, how, how did we get to hang stuff on them? When did we begin hanging lights and stuff on them? Um, and uh, where did that start? And, and here's what I've found. And I don't know. Uh, I mean, here's what I heard or read. Um, Martin Luther in the 1600s. Uh, there's there's two things here. Uh, one thing said that he was walking, and and Luther was kind of like this. He was an eccentric guy, and so he's walking uh, uh, toward his home one day, and and he was mesmerized. Uh, by the by, the vividness of the stars in the sky and the and the beauty of the trees there, and he wanted to recreate that for his for his family. That's one of the accounts, and and that kind of makes sense. Uh, Luther had like eight kids or something. Two of them were very sickly uh, and, and were really kind of homebound, and so the idea of wanting to recreate that for his family uh, it sounds kind of Luthery. Um, so there's one thing, but then the other thing was. Uh, as we talked about earlier, wanted to use this tree and this Christmas tree that's that's a popular thing in other parts of the world and and, and uh, uh, redeem that for uh, for godly purposes as a, as a illustration of things. And so, he, uh, from what I read, he was the first to put candles on a tree, which makes me say that's crazy. That's going to start a fire. Uh, but that's what they did. Uh, he, I, I'm sure they didn't put 400 candles on it, but. Uh, the candle would represent the light of Christ um, and all kinds of different teaching aids that he would uh, uh, um, tie that to. So, again, the, qu the question is, um, uh, what is beyond redemption and what is redeemable for God's purposes? Yeah, that's what we think about this with music as well. That's probably one of the clearest ways to, to think about it. Well, well, I only listen to Christian music. That always kind of catches me funny. Like, well, what's a Christian music? Like what, make, what makes Christian music Christian music? I mean, I'll grant, granted, I prefer some music other than other music, but what makes music good? What makes it Christian? Because I'm quite confident that, that, that no music has a soul. No music can surrender its life to Christ because it doesn't have a life. And so it's something that's created. And so, uh, you know, some churches get... Um, uh, uh, really touchy about the type of music that they'll play, for example. We've done some cool stuff here in the past, you know. Yeah, um, uh, one of my favorites, 
Uh, <laughs> crazy train. I did. I had did you? Yeah. <laughs> comfortably uh, numb one time. Comfortably numb. Okay. I, I mean, since I've been here, I I, I know uh, they did um, the sound of silence uh, once, which was a fa- that was awesome. Um, but but you know some people say, well, you can't do that stuff in a church. What are you healings? Yes, and. <laughs> Come on uh, in. We know you'll fit right in. <laughs> uh, uh, but 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 two. Uh, can we use the message of that song uh, and, and use it as a teaching aid to point? Yeah. You know, there was a, 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 a pastor several years ago, eight, seven eight years ago. He opened Easter. Like, I don't know if I could do this. He opened Easter morning uh, with uh, Highway to Hell. <laughs> That yeah, wasn't super popular. That's, <laughs> if, if I retire that year, I'll do <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he, he opened Highway to Hell on that, on that Sunday morning. And, of course, he got a lot of backlash. But I'm not sure if it was a great decision. I don't know if I've got uh, the, the wherewithal to, put that, to, to try to do that. But, uh, but, but when asked why, he said, here's the thing. A lot of people come to the church Easter and Christmas. They only come Easter and Christmas. And they need to know they're on the highway to hell. But listen, there's another highway, and that highway isn't really a highway. It's a narrow path. <laughs> Few choose it. <laughs> and so that's what he preached. But you know, John, the church is, is we just heard of a church, I think it was last week, where we were informed of a church that said, videos are from hell. We need to go back and use flannel graphs. Yeah. Flannel graphs. Do you know what a flannel graph is? Us old people, when we were little, there were no TVs or videos, so they had a flannel board with characters, and you would teach by putting these characters, you know, here's Jesus, and on a flannel board, and they called it a flannel graph, and that's how you would teach the Bible to children. And this church said, we need to get rid of these videos. They're from Satan and get back to the flannel graphs. Well, as far as I know, the Bible doesn't say either one of them is good <laughs> or either one of them is bad, right? We use it as tools, whatever we can use, to get the message of Christ across. And, and I think if we approach Christmas or any other season like that, then, you know, for instance, you come in here Christmas Eve, we're going to have a candlelighting ceremony. We do it every year. You're going to hold a candle. Do you know who else has candlelighting ceremonies? Satanic worshipers. That doesn't mean we're worshiping Satan. We're, we're doing the opposite. We're using a candle to glorify the light of the world and what he means in our hearts. That's my point. Yeah. And I think everybody gets it, yeah. hopefully. You know, I had an I had a interesting uh, uh, question this week that came to me uh, via social media about the nativity and Christmas time and stuff. And the question said, hey, I was just reading in a study Bible, and it said that Jesus uh, might have been born in a cave. I've always seen the manger scene with a little pole barn of sorts. <laughs> um, is that true? Well, funny you should ask. Maybe. Um, uh, so, so where was Jesus born? Before we go there, why don't we talk about Mary and Joseph, Mary incredibly pregnant, is going uh, they're going to uh, to register for the census, right? Probably for taxation pur- purposes, uh, and for war. And for they war. registered for yeah. war. Uh, they're going to whose hometown? Joseph's hometown. Uh, what exists in your hometown? 
starts with an F, ends with an Emily. <laughs> Family, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is actually, I've preached on this before. This is good. Uh, th- they go where family is. Yeah. And yet there's no room in the end. Yeah. Have you ever wondered, like, how hateful must his family be? You know what I mean? Like, how's that happen? I mean, I, I, I get it. If I'm going to New York, I don't know anybody in New York. No one's going to let me in their house, right? For a multitude of reasons. Uh, I'm not making it in there. Um, but if I go to Cynthia, somebody surely will open the doors well, and let me in. you know, I, I did a series on this a few years ago, and the inn actually could have been his family home. That's right. And that they were lit. It's kind of bed and breakfast kind of thing for when people came to town. And when he shows up with this 14-year-old girl who's obviously very pregnant, they went, eh-eh. You're not, no, nah, uh-uh. You're not bringing that girl in our house. Yeah. What have you done? Yeah. You have ruined your life. There's another possibility that I'm fond of. Let me throw it out and see what you think. It's interesting. Go ahead. Uh, I, I mean, because we don't know. Like, a lot yeah, of us, it's, it's guesswork. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but here's one possibility. There is no room in the inn. The, wor- the word that's used there can also refer to a room. If you think of first century homes, um, I, I mean, they're, they're small. They're like, well, early American homes, right? You've got 14 kids in one bedroom, right? Um, uh, which is strange on so many levels. Um, but, um, okay, you got that. There's no room in the inn. It could be the guest room of sorts, right? Uh, in the room, you'd have generally, uh, uh, it's speculated that you'd have a quarters from mom and dad because, well, you've got 14 kids and you need a way to, you know, quarter that off. And so, and then you would have a main room where all the people would sleep and your guests would sleep in this main room. Uh, but if there's no room in that main room, in the guest room where you'd throw a cot down and, and sleep, well, then where would you go? Well, we know that they end up, um, well, in that time, at the same time, you would also have a sheep gate around when Jesus says in uh, Luke, uh, in John 17, my sheep know my voice and uh, I'm the gate and they, and they listen to me and all that stuff. He's probably referring to a communal uh, 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 pasture of sorts where, where the village would allow their animals to graze. Um, when it was uh, uh, inclement weather for whatever reason, uh, there's also in, in those homes a what we would consider a an attached garage where they would house the animals. And so it very well could be that Jesus isn't, there's no room in the guest room, but it's uh, possible that he stayed in the detached or the attached garage or, or, or maybe detached garage, um, what we would consider where they would bring in the animals and kind of store them for the night. And so it kind of changes your picture maybe a little bit. We don't know whether his family was just, hey, get away, you're married to a 14-year-old, um, uh, or, uh, hey, there's no room in here, but you can sleep in the, in the garage. We don't or know. they actually went to a, a cave area that was very common in yep. that day That's to right. corral animals out of inclement weather, and they said, "Hey, here's yep. what, this is all we got. This is what we got." Yep. Betrothed. Well, we don't have the backstory as to um, how that got arranged. Mary was really cute. <laughs> I, we don't know. 
we don't have the backstory <laughs> to that. But 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 that is an interesting phrasing there. Um, uh, most marriages were prearranged by yeah. parents. Yeah. And that's that that was not uncommon. So we don't know if there is a we don't know the backstory to that. But then they end up being engaged, which was illegally binding. Yeah, it was a bind. You could only break it through divorce. But the marriage wasn't. But you. But they weren't physically consummating the relationship until they were officially married. He did. He wanted to put her away quietly. He could have had her stoned to death. So put her away quietly is another way of saying he wanted to divorce yeah. her. Break the contract. So, so in our vernacular, they would have been engaged, and and then she finds out she's pregnant with the Holy Spirit, and and of course, listen. I mean, I think Joseph is often the unsung hero of the story. Like we give him a bad rap for wanting to divorce Mary, but listen, if I'm engaged to a girl and she comes and says, "Hey, I'm pregnant, but it's the Holy Spirit," I'm gonna say, "Right, you know, <laughs> uh huh." Um, what's uh, that address? The <laughs> charter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, so so I mean, we he I think he sometimes gets a bad rap there, and uh, so he's but he's noble about it. Uh, the terminology that's used there, he's got to put her away quietly. He could get her killed, right? But he loved her. That's what love does. Yeah. Yeah. The angel yeah. came and said he was he was thinking about divorcing her quietly, and then the angel appeared and said, "Hey, look, Joseph, she's telling you the truth." This is. You gotta be kidding me. Okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but you know, but so, so um, oh, where was I going? Divorce her quite. Oh, but so there's a there's a critique against Christ, Christianity and the Christmas story, and, the, and really it deals with the nativity or the the divinity of Jesus in saying that. Um, I think it's Matthew, um, the the word that's used to describe Mary as a young girl. In Luke, uh, it's she's called a, a young virgin. It's a different word that's used there. Um, and so it's often pointed out in Matthew, well, Matthew doesn't say she's a virgin, but Luke says she is. I mean, Matthew might make more sense because you don't get pregnant without having sex, and so it might be, I mean, may, maybe Luke's just wrong. But the difference there is Matthew says twice, makes it, makes it very clear two times uh, that, that Joseph had not been with Mary. Uh, and, and so, while he uses the term for a young woman there, a young girl there, um, he makes it very clear there in the, in the narrative that they hadn't been together. And that kind of... But, but then and keep in mind, Luke was a physician, so uh -huh. he's going to use different yeah. terms probably yeah. to describe that. And then think about the, the, the burden that Joseph has on him for a second. You're now stepdad to the son of God. That's tough. Uh, of course, Mary, too. I mean, I, I love, and this is all just kind of, you know, playing, but can your, can your children um, be wrong and not be sinful? Certainly, right? They can be wrong and not be sinful. I, I think so often we think of Jesus as some type of a super person. He is fully God and fully man, but he was also a baby. Uh, scripture says, says time and time again that he put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. He was like us in every way, uh, Scripture says. And so think about Mary's burden here. She's now carrying the child of God, 
she's going to give birth to this child of God. And this child of God is born just like me and you. Uh, Philippians says, he, 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 uh, though he was equal to God, he didn't consider equality something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, took on the very nature of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Uh, he was like us in every way. That means uh, Jesus learned how to walk, right, as a child would. He, he learned things. He doesn't have supernatural knowledge. He put away his, his divinity. And put on full, the fullness of humanity. So I, I don't think Jesus had supernatural knowledge. He walks over to the fire. And how many times have you said to your kids, hey, don't touch it. That's hot. How many of your kids have been burnt because they touched something hot? It happened to Jesus, I bet. I mean, this is all kind of pretend and speculation. Um, you know, Jesus is walking or, or running, playing kick rock or whatever they do in the first century. And um, <laughs> that's... <laughs> Sorry. No cans. Uh, no cans. Um, and, and and here comes a chariot being pulled by some horses or something, and he's getting ready to run into the streets, and, and Mary and Joseph yell, Jesus, stop! Right? Why? Because, well, he's about to get run, run over. And, and you know, because we've all been there, parents, we, we grab our kids and say, listen, when I tell you to stop, you've got to stop, otherwise you're going to get killed. Like, I, I bet those types of things happened with Mary and Joseph. And, and just, you know, like, can, can you correct your child without them being sinful? Well, certainly. We need correction all the time. So I, I bet Mary had the steep responsibility of, uh, of having, I, I think, to correct Jesus from time to time. Not that he was sinful. We know he was, he was sinless, but he would have to be corrected in different things. I mean, just the, full, the fullness, uh, John chapter 1, uh, verse 14. Talks of John writes, uh, he had started off and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And eventually, he made his dwelling among us. He put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's so, the, the, such a rich picture of, of can, Christmas. Can I touch on that thought for please. a second? Because it comes into a little bit of the dating of Jesus when he was actually born. Yeah, please. Um, you know, we, we celebrate December 25th, and that all goes back to festivals being turned around Solstice. and whatnot. But if you really want to get a more accurate date, what you do is you go to Zechariah, who was from the priesthood of the Abijah tribe, which they only had certain times they served in a temple. And when so if you do, Zechariah with Elizabeth is who I'm talking about, his cousin. So if, he, if John the Baptist is six months older than him and you do the math, here's how it plays out in short. I'm not going to give you all the technicalities, but here's how it plays out in short. Conception probably happened in December, and he was probably born in September, December conception, September birth, which is very interesting in the Jewish calendar because that's when the Feast of Tabernacles takes place, which means dwelt. He made his dwelling. Oh, yeah. It fits in perfect with that verse from John when it says he put on flesh and dwelt among us because it was the celebration of God dwelling yeah. with man, and that's probably when he was born. Another thing we, we look at in that is when did the shepherds appear to Jesus? It was at his birth, right? Like he was pretty closer to his birth. Maybe not the, at his birth because that's weird and. It probably had occurred, but, them, but pretty but, expediently. Yeah, pretty expediently. The, the the wise guys they were within two years. These guys were pretty close. Um, uh, it's Luke 
right, who says that the, the shepherds were in fields nearby. They were probably in the region of, of, of Bethlehem there. Uh, if you look at the, the agriculture of, of that time, uh, the shepherds would only have their flocks out grazing in between harvest and new planting. And the, 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 the sh- uh, they would be eating down the, the mm, whatever's left after you harvest everything, what, the shaft or whatever it is, uh, the, the, the little stuff getting it down to, to the ground. And so that's, and that lines up perfectly with the end of harvest there. You know, um, again, you, you mentioned there's so many takes on Christmas. I want to tell you all a quick story. Uh, candy canes, you know, the original candy cane. Uh, that was developed from a shepherd's crook coming from the shepherds, okay, um, and was used to teach about the red stripe, the blood sacrifice of Jesus, the white is the purity, and peppermint was actually a healing agent that was used uh, quite frequently for a lot of different things. <laughs> so with that story in mind, I take a box of peppermints to India on a mission trip to give to children. Not thinking other than like an American. I get to this village where they'd never seen a white man. This was so bizarre. And I'm thinking, boy, they're going to be impressed with me. I'm going to give them a candy cane. And I get passed out these candy canes, and they ate the wrapper and all. They'd never seen a clear wrapper on anything. So I kept telling them, candy, candy. And they put the whole thing, and they were choking on these <laughs> wrappers off this. And my missionary friend said, you should have done a little bit better. <laughs> You're killing all the kids in the village. But anyway, so we had to take it back, but we used that candy cane then through an interpreter to teach the children. It actually was a good moment about Jesus. And um, so anyway, it was just kind of cool. But yeah. there's a lot of things that we celebrate today that have been used very wisely and good for teaching and pointing people to Christ. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, even mistletoe, for example, you know, the thorns on his brow and the, and the little uh, red berries um, represent the drops of blood. There's all this stuff that's been used over the years. Uh, it's a parasite plant, as you know. You see it on trees around here all the time. But um, suspended, mm-hmm. as Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of neat there's a lot of neat stuff that we have Christmas wreath. Do you want to talk about that? Or no. Okay. Well, um, well, you were you were singing the song. Yeah. Wall yeah. Yeah. He stopped loving her today. Okay. And what's the they line? placed a wreath upon his her door. his door. Yeah. And the reason and soon they'll carry okay, him enough. away. So here's here's the deal. The re- way, the reason George Jones wrote that lyric is because back in the day, and I'm talking in American history, yeah. like back in the early 30s and 40s and 50s, it was not uncommon. I remember this in my home community as a kid. I'm not trying to say I'm ancient, but I do remember this because I lived in an old-fashioned community. When somebody died, they put a wreath on a door, yeah. and it was to tell the community marking that house that someone had passed in that in that home and people would bring gifts and put them on the porch or food or whatever it was to try to help and ease the burden so we put wreaths christmas wreaths now and decorate them because jesus was born to die 
So that's the whole history symbolism yep. behind that. Again, not just the pretty decor on your door. It actually means something. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of yep. a, a neat. And that comes back from uh, that in America we adopted that, but it actually comes back even from Europe as yeah. well. Yeah, that's one of the signs that they would use during like the Black Plague and stuff, like a warning beacon, yep. somebody died, but also don't come too close. That's right. Yep. So that's where that, all that came from. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a neat thing to, to look yeah. at and, and use. We, we got a good question here. What happened to Joseph? Uh, we see Mary and Joseph in the nativity scene. Uh, we see Mary and Joseph and Jesus, according to Luke's gospel, when he was around 12 years old at the temple. And then we don't see anything else about Joseph. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know. Uh, there's only speculation. We, I'll, I'll say this, that most Bible scholars agree that just according to Jewish custom that he was 10 to 15 years older than Mary. Mm -hmm. uh, so he would have been in his 20s if she's 14 or so. He would have been in his late 20s. Um, was a carpenter um, and passed somehow, yeah. maybe accidental, maybe um, so. through, don't know, don't know anything about that. Yeah, yeah we don't know anything, most people agree that he passed sometime after Jesus is 12 years old. Yep. Uh, we know that... Um, which, by the way, w think about it. If he's in, if he's close to thirty, when he's born, okay, or twenty-eight, or Joseph, yeah, yeah, Joseph, and then Jesus is twelve. That puts him at forty. That was the that was life expectancy. Mm -hmm. Forty-five was considered old. So that really wasn't all that uncommon. Some of y'all are really. <laughs> so you're middle-aged at twenty, back then. <laughs> Which is why it's not a big deal that Mary was 14 yeah. and having a baby, if you get what I'm saying. Uh, another little tidbit. Um, uh, we talk about Joseph being a carpenter and Jesus being a carpenter. Some speculate Joseph died sometime after Jesus is 12 years old because that's the last time we see him and it's silent afterward. Uh, it's assumed Jesus is clearly very equipped uh, with Old Testament scriptures. He knows the Bible. Um, but the best and the brightest of Jewish young boys who were that smart, they would have continued through rabbi school. And we know that Jesus didn't, it doesn't appear that Jesus did that. Instead, it seems as though he took over the family trade. And, and that would have answered as to, well, why? Well, if Joseph dies, who's the oldest son? It would have been Jesus, right? Uh, we know that uh, 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 Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus was born. We see a reference to them in Mark 15, I think. Um, we see a reference to Jesus and his mother and his brothers and sisters are outside uh, waiting for him because I think he's nuts, right? Um, uh, so, so it's possible that Jesus took over the family trade. We use the word carpenter for uh, Joseph's trade. Uh, but in, in uh, Israel... You don't have a lot of wood. You don't have a lot of trees. Uh, really, a, a better translation of that word that's used, carpenter, uh, would be stonecutter. Stonemason, that's right. Um, and so he was probably a stonemason, which is kind of interesting. Jesus is, this is way off track, but Jesus' uh, mission base, his headquarters throughout the majority of his ministry, uh, we often think Jerusalem, but it's not really Jerusalem. The majority of his ministry takes place in Caesarea. Um, uh, Long story short, 
Jesus in his early adult years after he takes over from Joseph, he very well could have built different palaces up that, that belonged to Herod up there and Pilate's palace, who knows? I mean, he could have built some of those places, which would explain as to why Jesus, in, when he launches his ministry around the age of 30, uh, why he has the support that he has because he has known these people in, in, in uh, uh, these positions of authority and power. And he probably has benefactors who are servants in these uh, these wealthy establishments. Yeah, it's kind of neat true. to think about. That's true. Good stuff. Where do you want to go next, Bob? Uh, you have any thoughts, questions about Christmas or Bible? <laughs> mm. uh, yeah. Even the word jolly comes from uh, the word, the German word Joel, uh, J-O-L, I'm not sure, do you know how to pronounce that? Joel or Joel. Anyway, and that's kind of where we get the word jolly. Oh, we, let's talk about Santa Claus for a minute. That's good. Oh, yeah. Talk, we, oh. we haven't talked about St. Claus. I've got some notes on Santa Claus. Go yeah. ahead. There's a lot of tradition behind that, um, but... That goes back to, I think, 8th century, isn't it, John? Yeah. Between 4th and 8th century. Uh, St. Boniface is one of the ones, it was a bishop. Bishops wear red suits, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and threw uh, bags of gold, supposedly, for to into a house to support this man who had three daughters and couldn't pay the dowry for them to be married to the whom they were betrothed to, to be married, and tradition has it that that became, um, uh, uh, a, that the he became representation of benevolence in the community, of sharing gifts. Then you even have um, uh, St. Nicholas comes in, follow suit with that, et cetera. What, yeah. what, do, you, what do you have? Uh, yeah, I can't find it now, but I was reading an article about um, the real St. Nicholas, um, defender of truth, uh, destroyer of temples. And it talked about how St. Nicholas, like, you know, the idea of uh, he sees you and he doesn't, you it better be good or, good, you know, all that good or bad. Stop. The only guy that can butcher oh, a children's <laughs> it's me. Anyway, the the idea that this article was talking about was, and it used a couple of different examples from his life where the 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 defender of truth, like he he wasn't just some old plumpy white haired guy. Like he fought for truth and justice, and that was you know the staple of uh, of of who he was. And uh, I yeah, can't there's, remember There's all. a lot of history behind it. Cool. And a lot of it has, it, anytime you have secular stories like that, they grow over time, yeah. too. Sure. You know, uh, there's a story about rescuing prostitutes with yeah. St. Nicholas off the street and that kind of thing. Yeah. And giving gifts so that they wouldn't have to prostitute themselves. So they provided them anonymous gifts through the years to yeah. get them back on their feet so they could take. Did you more. say anything about the costume? The bishop's garb, yeah. that's all I said. And, and then the like the the symbolism of the garb and the, the red representing the blood of Christ, the white representing the purity, much like the candy cane. Yeah, if you if you watch uh, for instance, whenever you see um, 
anything that surrounds the Vatican regarding a pope, you'll still see that wardrobe yeah. with um, with with some of the uh, archbishops and so forth. Yeah. So, yeah. hmm. What else you got? Yeah. You, oh, that's real. Yeah. You know, boxing is fake and wrestling is real, right? Yeah. So the same is true with this. Woo. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea how elves and reindeer. I came that's along. yeah. Uh, w if you watch the cartoon Santa Claus is Coming to Town, I think it explains it. Yeah, he was dropped off My as a redheaded baby with these elves. Why am I such a mess? No, bit? no, that's a different cartoon. I am not just a nit wit. Yes, you are, and you can't fire <laughs> me. I quit. <laughs> I just want to be a dentist. <laughs> what was his name? Irvy. <laughs> My favorite. Irvy wants to be a dentist. <laughs> Have you ever heard of an elf being a dentist? <laughs> I'm going to go watch it tonight. Sorry. Uh, get back on track, Sammy. You're losing control. Um, <laughs> uh, our, uh, I'm blanking on any other Christmas topic. Do you all have any thoughts? Questions, comments? Uh, history tells us, uh, um, well, not biblical, but extra biblical history tells us that, that many of them uh, became church leaders. We know of one of those uh, who became a, a church leader. Uh, he wrote a book in the New Testament, starts with a J, ends with an Ames. Yeah. I don't know of anything, any, any of the others. Do you know Samuel? I don't think so. But church history tells us that they, listen, if you can convince your sibling that you are the yeah. son of God, that's pretty good testimony. You know what I mean? You know, there is the whole thing about in Roman Catholicism that's taught that um, Mary's mother, Anne, was also <laughs> had an immaculate conception with Mary. It, it's a bizarre twist. Now, not all Catholics believe that. It's an old, old teaching. But there's a lot of strange stories even surrounding Anne, who supposedly is Mary's mother. And that also there's a lot of strange teaching. I don't, I don't know any Catholics that believe this. And I have Catholics that are close married into my family. But there's also that say that Mary was actually perpetually a virgin even after she gave birth to because that would defile the mother of God, and you can't defile the mother of God. Yeah, actually, I've, I, in the past three years, I, I had that conversation with yeah. a Catholic friend of mine, and, and he has reasons why the brothers and sisters mentioned, and I think it's Mark 15, uh, why they aren't actually, actually brothers blood and brothers sisters. Yeah. And sisters yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I'm, uh, you're kind of uh, picking through there. Uh, but you do bring up a good point about Mary and her role. Uh, the Immaculate Conception. I was having a conversation uh, in the past year with uh, a guy over in Bourbon County who is, who says, <laughs> i got to be careful, he says he is Muslim. Um, and one of his big hang-ups with the divinity of Jesus, he says, I can't believe, I can't believe you believe that God had sex with a woman and produced a child. And I said, I 
Who said I believed that? <laughs> I didn't say that. He said, well, that's what you Christians believe. You yeah. believe that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and, and she was with child. I mean, how else do you, do you do that? And I said, listen, do you believe God can create the earth? He says, well, yeah. Blessed be his name, Lord. I said, do you believe that God can create the sun? Yeah. Do you believe God can say, baby? <laughs> well, I never thought of it like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so maybe we just need to change the way we think. Uh, uh, he, he was really hung up on this idea of, of God. And then I, so I started researching, and, and sure enough, there's a lot of teaching around that in, in other faith systems about, um, um, well, about about that. And, and I just think it's so weird. We've got to have a good idea of, of what that was. Uh, this is not a sexual union that God has with Mary. Um, uh, this is a this is God saying, "Child," <laughs> and and yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's God saying, "Baby." And if you don't believe God can do that, then your picture of of God might be a little too small. Uh, but but then you've got the the idea of the perpetual virginity of of Mary. Um, uh, the uh, some people talk about the Immaculate Conception, um, uh, and others argue that the better way to talk about it is the virgin, the, I can't say the word, well, it, not Immaculate Conception, but she was a virgin who conceived, right? And that's the way they want to, and that eliminates the idea of any type of sexual union uh, in any other way. There's no indication of that at all, that yeah. they didn't accept him fully as their son. Yeah. But it, but it does bring up a lot of questions. Like, okay, well, I wonder if and when Mary and Joseph sat down with Jesus and said, hey, man, we got, you're really smart, right? You can do math. <laughs> Some of us have been in this conversation. We can do math, and I know you were married here, <laughs> and I know I was born here, which means there's some months that are unaccounted for, right? Oh, who knows? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, I, we don't know that, but the question is, uh, well, when, when and if, and I think they probably did at some point, um, talk to Jesus about, hey, here's what happened. One night, uh, Mary's washing dishes, looking out the window, oh, God. For 400 years, we've been waiting for your Messiah. Where are you? And then, boom, an angel appears, right? Hey, it's me, Gabriel. You're going to have a baby. Um, uh, when would she have told them? And then think about how, because Jesus is fully human and his siblings are fully human, uh, imagine you're a child. And, again, this is all pretend imaginary, like we're just playing this game of what ifs. Uh, you're all sitting around the dinner table one night, and Mary and Joseph tell a story, and you're the sibling. Of course, Jesus is the favorite, you know, like no wonder, you know, we've got to go muck the stalls and Jesus sits on the porch and watches us. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. all that rivalry that might have happened as a young child. We, we don't know. That's all speculation and guesswork. Uh, I hold the opinion that I don't think Mary and Joseph probably didn't tell Jesus until his uh, adult years. Um, 
as I think Jesus starts to put together. I kind of feel like there might have been a point of awareness for Jesus too of some some divine things. You Perhaps, know, yeah. I, I think maybe that came with puberty. I don't know, but I would imagine it probably did. We don't have anything to base that on. Yeah, right. Other than when he's 30. Well, also, though, in Luke, uh, when he is at the temple and married, and he says, I'm about my father's well, business. Yeah, when it's young. Well, it's not Joseph's business, business at, he's talking right. about. At that point, it seems that Jesus is on the side. He's aware. Right? He's, there's some awareness. Um. But again, I think that's a developed awareness that continues to develop until he launches his ministry. Right. Yeah. But he didn't know that much. Right. He did, he he knew that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. They know they know math too. Well, we know he was actually. Two, two, two places. Yeah. His mom's the one that said she had a virgin birth. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are two indications that Jesus was um, picked on. Uh, one of those is a prophecy looking back to Isaiah. Um, hmm, Isaiah something. There's a prophecy about him being ridiculed by his peers, a stranger in his land, and that can allude to being poked fun at. And then when Jesus launches his ministry at the temple reading, when he reads Isaiah, um, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, um, and, and the scripture has found its fulfillment in your hearing today, the crowd's amazed, is what they say. They're amazed, and they ask, isn't this... Joseph's son, and that can be, many have interpreted that as being kind of tongue-in-cheek, like, (laughs) this dude says the Spirit's on him, (laughs) this is Joseph's son, right? We we know you. You know, that's one of my biggest fears. Um, I never thought I'd do ministry in Cynthiana or nearby, really, Uh, and it was a big fear of mine because I I wanted to get away, and why... Why might I want to get away? Well, because people know me. Prophet's not accepted in his own country, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. People know me. And, you know, I mean, some of the more terrifying That was moments. part of my big fear hiring you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, John. It really was. right. <laughs> Actually, the truth of it was that was motivation for me. Yeah. I, I mean that sincerely. I mean, I know you, that. We've had that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, I think that that is... I think just as important as it was in that time for them to see who Jesus really was, I think it's important for your community, your home community, which is why I've always stayed here in local Kentucky too yeah. my whole life, to see who we have, to see what God has done in us. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's a testimony yeah. in itself. Yeah. And I, I think it's But great. it's terrifying. <laughs> it is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Because and people – And it, yeah. it makes you have that – that yeah you know yeah. responsibility but yeah so yeah plus they know our family members <laughs> well no comment there uh other thoughts questions Sam, what do you got oh, um he was taken you know i made this point last week um uh jesus was taken for the purification rites to the temple when he was eight days old 
Uh, do you know why he was there to have something done? To be circumcised? Circumcised. Uh, it's interesting. If you, you can look this up, uh, this is not, they still do, doctors are still doing some of this today. Maybe you can comment on this, Denise. But uh, they say that in a male, that your blood clots the best in your whole life a week after you're born. It has to do with enzyme stuff and things that are going on in your system. God already had all that figured out medically way before science did. And so that's why you, they did it on the eighth day. Huh. It's kind of. Then they weren't Jewish. So uh, the mark of the covenant, the Jewish, the, the, the. No. No, so. So well, the today there's no difference between Jew and, and Greek and Gentile and whatever. There's no distinguishing. That was an Old Testament covenant made with Abraham. So, but so he he grew. He was born into that covenant. He he made the new covenant when he gave his new li his life. So yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. So that was a sign of b being a Jew, right? You had to be a card carrying member, or. <laughs> I, I gotta say this. I, I this is my first week at Bible college at Kentucky Christian. I'm sitting <laughs> in Bible literature class. <laughs> I'm not gonna answer this question, so I'm just gonna throw it out. I this will. girl raises her hand and she goes, Only Jews were allowed in the temple, correct? And my professor said, Yes. And she goes, Hmm. How'd they know? Did they have like a door checker? <laughs> I'm telling you, my professor about died and and could not and did not ever give an answer. I don't know. I he said I assume it was on the honor system because I mean seriously, I d I've never read anything yeah. about that yeah. ever. Never read anything about that. Like if somebody was wanting to sabotage the temple or something, could he come in and just say I'm a Jew? I mean, how did that you know? Like you said, is there a card-carrying thing on a little stone? Card-carrying member here. I, or did they have a step behind this curtain over here? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but it is it is a weird cultural thought. It, it is. What, so to make it a little stranger for us tonight. Um, <laughs> Can it get stranger, John? It's about to happen. So... <laughs> Uh, so I was taking a class in grad school. It was um, um, the world of the of the New Testament was the title of the course. And in one of the readings, it was talking about the influence of the Greco-Roman society. And I've, I've never seen this anywhere else, but in, in one of these books, it was talking about this. Um, because the there was such an influence in, on the at this point in the first century, uh, Israel doesn't exist, right? It's all led by Rome. Rome, the Roman Empire, leads everything, and and the the in, the the importance of Roman games and communal things like that, uh, the, the Olympic games, they were they were always done in the nude. Um, in this book that I was reading, it talks about how the Jews felt quite insecure uh, because they looked different, and I'll just leave it at that. They looked different, and so uh, they would do reverse circumcisions in the first century for some of the Olympic, uh, for some of the people who are performing in the games uh, so that they wouldn't feel so out of place. And I thought that is the strangest thing I've ever read in my life. 
But apparently that was a practice in the first century, according to D.A. Carson. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> I don't a reverse. Like, they would take some no, type of eye. No! No! And attack. No! I'm just saying. No! <laughs> Pray! Let's go! And I made it weirder, so you're welcome. Think about that for a second. And that's why I'm fired. It's been fun, guys. It's been a blast. Peace out. <laughs> Thanks for your hospitality. <laughs> I'm sorry? No. 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 We're not editing. No. I want everybody to know. In the first century, that was a practice. Enjoy. And now you know more, right? Uh, it, it, thankfully, it won't pick you up, so you don't have to worry about it. Barbara. Pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Anonymity. All the dumb okay. questions, listeners, came from Barb Pocket. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Uh, next week, we'll have our final Christmas one. We'll have a little bit more prepared next week. It, it'll be really fun. Uh, we'll try not make it as, as weird. Um, <laughs> I, yes. Candles. I talked about that. Ornaments. I think it just morphed, perhaps. I, again, I don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I don't know why we decorate anything the way we do today. I mean, I think it just leads one thing leads to another, maybe. I don't know. What we do see is that the uh, importance of symbolism has does shift in time, right? And um, and and so I, you know, in so, in some ways, I look at Christmas time, and uh, and there's a part of me that wants to cherish history because it's like nothing nothing is really sacred today. Nothing is really right. And so part part of that, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. No, you just have to get a two-year-old Jesus for your nativity scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just make him a little bigger. Then. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. That's good. So, I, I mean, so here's the thing. I mean, with with all those things, is the, the nativity with the wise men, is that a bad thing? Well, certainly no, not. I don't think so. Uh, 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 is it wrong to put an angel on top of a tree? No. Uh, no, certainly not. Uh, but it would be wrong to worship an angel, right? We see that in different, all kinds of different ways there. Um, it, it's not wrong to have a Christmas tree unless you worship a Christmas tree, right? Yeah. It, it's all, uh, these things should draw our attention to Christ and not away from. Um, yeah, and use whatever you can to do that. I yeah. think, I and think, teach. you know, gift giving gets a, gets a lot of bad publicity too. And, and we certainly have become very commercialized in our society and, you know, I think there's a lot of exploitation going on uh, from big business and whatnot. But really, I, I I can tell you from experience that some of the gifts that I have given and received in Christmases gone by have opened up some very important spiritual conversations with people just because that exchange happened. And again, that was a good purpose for that. As much as I detest all of this stuff yeah. around it, it's been good, you know. 
Uh, I love doing uh, anonymous Christmas stuff. I don't know if you all do a lot of that. I've, I've enjoyed doing that. Um, I bought just the other day I at a fast food place. I got a $6 meal and gave and just I said, uh, I'm going to leave, leave a tip here for you. And it was one of those, well, you know, it wasn't fast food, but it was quick food because you can't give tips there. But and I and I left a twenty-five dollar tip to this girl for a six-dollar meal, and there were some reasons behind that why I did that in my assessment. But you know, I love doing that and just walking away. Yeah. I don't want you to know my name. I don't want you to know anything about me. I just I, I love doing that kind of thing, and um, and I think that people have a sense or have the ability to have a sense of, you know, there are there is goodness in this world. Yeah. There is goodness in this world. and uh, But some of those gifts have led to, well, where did that goodness came, come from? Mm -hmm. Well, my life's changed. It's different. Yeah. Christ did it. So. Yeah. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And then uh, I just want, before I do that, I want to remind you, we'll meet again next week. Student Minister is having a party next week. And so we'll meet here and we'll finish talking. And I promise we're next week too. I'll have a, uh, a, a, a worksheet. Right, it'll be fun. We'll we'll go through a handout, and I'll have a PowerPoint, and it'll be a blast again. You'll love it. Um, yeah. And then. Hey, I learned something tonight. It's kind of neat. Before we came in here, from Susan. <laughs> this is Susan. She came up to me and she said, "I don't know if you remember. Could you do you mind telling the story real quick? Go 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 ahead. Yeah." Don't get nervous. <laughs> I, 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 want, I want to tell you why that resonated with me. Because when I was doing those things, as I have said to Jennifer and others in the past, a lot of times I thought, this is useless. <laughs> there is nothing good that's going to come out of this debacle of, <laughs> uh, of a trip. My point is, but time and time again, I've had these conversations where that kind of thing has happened, and it reminds me, our encounters that we have with people, you never know. You never know down the road where that connection is going to mean something again. And that really, that really uh, cheered me up tonight. I just wanted you to know that publicly. That made me feel good about that. So thank you for sharing that with me. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now. We thank you so much for your son. We thank you for putting on flesh and making your dwelling with us. Uh, God, I left the Peach family in this room, and I pray, Lord, that you, uh, you continue to open our eyes this Christmas season so that we can see you clearer. I thank you so much for this great gift of the, the possibility of eternal life with you. So we, we praise you for that. We thank you. Uh, be with these families as we leave here tonight. 
pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.